0: Way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
1: Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Monday, December the 6th, 2021, uh, and this is episode 2995 of the Survival Podcast. Sounds like we're putting stuff on sale. Uh, no sale today. Maybe we'll do something for Christmas with MSB, I don't know, but uh, 2995 is significant because, well, we'll end the week 2,999 episodes of TSP, and that means Monday next week, unless a meteor falls on my head or something. We will hit episode 3000. I think it's a pretty big landmark event. Today's podcast will be a live stream, at least the heart of it. This part you're hearing now is my intro added on to it for you. Uh, but we are doing live streams generally two to four a week now of the shows. We'll have at least part of them done uh, as a live stream. The expert panel ones, will. I don't know that they'll ever be live streamed, but it would be kind of cool someday to set up like an expert council agreement where certain number of council members show up and we do kind of a live stream expert council, but the normal expert council shows that are in response to your questions, uh I don't know that we can we can do that. Uh but I got some ideas. Maybe someday we'll do one. But if you're like Jack, I I, I wanna I wanna actually catch one of these Dadgone live streams that you do. Well, I'll I'll tell you a couple things you can do. One, follow me on social media and real social media. we float Gab, Telegram, and you'll probably get an announcement with enough time ahead of it to to be able to to make a live stream. The other thing you can do, make sure you are subscribed to and have alerts turned on in my YouTube channel. Uh, Because YouTube does a pretty good job of saying, hey, this person you follow that you hit the alert for is live streaming now. Right, So that would be another thing that you could do. Uh, and get on the email list. Usually, not always, but usually I either send out an announcement about a pending live stream the day before in the Daily Mail, or I hit up like I did today with a little, hey, heads up, we're going to be doing one in two hours. So those are all ways that you can get and make sure that you're on the live streams here. Let's talk about uh, what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about um, the recent shakeout. With um, crypto, what's going on there, why the bottom seems to fall out, and why I'm buying the F and dip? And then we're going to talk two things here about crypto, and we're going to move on from there and have a, a great deal of variety. We're going to talk about the Bitcoin city coming to El Salvador, and the leftist fud about renewable energy uh, not working. It is creating. like This is amazing to me. The people who have advocated for renewable energy are actually now opposed to renewable energy because, well, it it, it leads to Bitcoin. I'm going to explain something about this. I think it's really important to understand, and a lot of this I'll borrow from Michael Saylor. I've got some questions from the audience. Um, One is on pre-prepping meat for sous vide in your freezer, and I'll give you some thoughts on that. Uh, It's been asked a lot about colder than normal winter, if I agree with that. I do. But I also think that that can be taken way out of context. And I'm going to use what happened in this winter uh, in Texas to explain that. This was not a hard, last winter was not a hard winter. It was a mild winter with one major extreme 10 day event in the middle of it. It, 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 And you got to really look at things differently when you start looking at kind of the macro effect of weather and climate versus individual weather events. Um, I'm going to talk quite a bit about strategic relocation and tell you, I think Texas and Florida, right now, we should be bringing people to our states, those two states in particular, and I'm going to talk about the southeast over to the Gulf Coast in general being kind of the place that I think the new revolution will be fought economically um, in in ways that I don't think maybe we were even talking about a few years ago, and we have COVID to thank for it. What the hell is a vent grand, or ever grand, I'm sorry, ever grand? It's a thing. It's in China. It's not a disease, but it is a problem that may spread way faster than any virus. And I'm going to tell you why you should care about it today, what it really means. And I'm going to end with a question. Should I start running my live streams again on Facebook? Should I? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not going back to Facebook. I'm not reneging on my, hey, I don't want nothing to do with Facebook anymore. I just started realizing there's a lot of you still there. I don't have to go there to do this. I don't have to interact with the people on Facebook on Facebook. I can set up my live stream and just add my Facebook uh, profile, and it will just go there, and I could then end all my live streams with, if you saw this on Facebook and want to talk to me, you're going to have to go somewhere else. Just a thought. I don't know if I'm going to do it or not yet, but it seems like I'm leaving a lot of eyeballs unreached that I could be leveraging that asset to reach. I have... Two differing views on it. I'll throw it out to the live stream audience and get some thoughts on it from them. And I got some other stuff today, too. And we might even take some questions and comments from the audience in the live stream. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and uh, jump on into this. And uh, let me tell you about our two sponsors today before we do. JM Bullion is our sponsor today, number one today. And, I, you know, I love silver and gold. I talk a lot about crypto. I have not stopped buying silver and gold. I do hold more crypto than silver and gold, but that underlying physical asset value of silver and gold, I hold some. And I think you should, too. And I've recommended that forever, and I haven't stopped recommending it. And the thing is, JM Bullion is the place you should be getting yours. And the reason is, one, they sponsor the show you listen to. Two, it costs less than Monex, Atmex, Lear Capital, et cetera. Three, I can talk to the president. Four, they give you a discount. And five, I'll order ship free. So why would you buy it anywhere else? The other place you should look into getting some precious metal, the alternative kind of precious metal, copper, jacket, and lead, you should do that at BulkAmmo.com. They also give an MSP discount, and they have lots of stock now. The ammo shortage has not gone away, but it's not as bad as it used to be. If you think there's some places in the uh, ammo chest you'd like to shore up a little bit, check out BulkAmmo.com today. And with that, let's go ahead live to the YouTube stream. Well hey there folks, welcome to another episode of the Survival Podcast. That's why right, I said podcast, even though those of you on the live stream are watching on YouTube or those watching the archive of the video are watching on YouTube, the Survival Podcast is indeed a podcast. We're available in all the major podcast syndication services, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Pocket Cast, you name it, we're there. Just, just, a little, just a little primer at the beginning, if you like to consume audio content, you can't always make videos or live streams or what have you. Uh, we're available, generally, the podcast version of uh, what you're seeing right now, and the video goes out about an hour after these live stream videos by the time I get everything edited and uploaded at all. Anyway, what are we going to talk about today? we got a bunch of stuff on the docket. I'm going to leave off with a couple crypto, uh currency stories, and um, that's not going to be the main part of today's show, but I, I do think there's some stuff going on there, and I talk about crypto enough that I think when the market like implodes, or at least looks like it's imploding, I should at least say something about it. And um, in this case, I'm going to just say, buy the fucking dip, all right? Like, I have listened to people complain, I miss the opportunity, I miss my opportunity, I miss my opportunity, over and over and over, over the years. And it's it's always the same people that say that, that never buy when the market goes down, Um How far down will it go? I don't know. But this is the advice I gave over the weekend. And if you followed me on social media, you would have gotten this advice. Anywhere that I post, you would have gotten the same advice. I literally cut and pasted the same post across everything that I'm on. And what I said was, and this is before it really came. It was just starting and I could see it coming deep. And I said, this is a time to buy whatever money you have to buy the dip with. Split it in thirds. And then buy in thirds as you watch this play out, and I think that was pretty good advice. There's quite a few people that um, have a uh, have have reached out to me and said that everything uh, every that, that they were pretty happy with that advice. Anyway, somebody in the live stream is saying, "Does Jack's connection look sketchy for anyone else?" I'd like to know if that's the case. If it is, let me know. I'll see what I can do, though. I don't know that there's much that I can do. Um, anyway. I think we have a variety of things playing out right now, and I think one of the things that we need to decouple ourselves from thinking anyway when it comes to um, yeah, the internet isn't clear. That's not good. I'm going to do my best with this, and and hopefully it'll clear up. And uh, I'm going to see if I'm going to make one little adjustment here and see if that helps. And otherwise, I I don't really control uh, the internet anyway. Um, we need to decouple ourselves that Bitcoin being digital, gold is going to be seen in the marketplace like gold. In other words, when people are afraid, they run to gold. I don't even know that that's that true anymore. Gold has pretty much done nothing for 10 years. Just saying. It really has. It's done nothing for 10 years. It's up or down a fraction of a percent across 10-year period. But that's the mindset that gold bugs have. When people are scared of the economy, they pull out of equities and they pile into gold. And because we have termed Bitcoin and other cryptos as forms of digital gold, digital property, and I think it is, we expect that same mentality. And I actually think that where we're at now is a place where, especially Bitcoin, but then Bitcoin transcends and affects other cryptos. When people have worries about the economy, they tend to unload. Right? They tend to decouple, at least reduce some of their positions because they expect a, a downtrend. We've also gotten to a point with Bitcoin and other cryptos where trading is pretty sophisticated. And when corrections are coming, your big-time traders know it. The other thing, and this is the actual bigger thing. I told you guys this was going to happen when they approved a Bitcoin futures ETF. And I told you then it was why they would do it, that they wanted to use that to create volatility in the marketplace, to create multiple drops so that all their buddies who got front run by the crypto people for the last decade could get some of their their licks in before it really takes off, because it hasn't really taken off yet. I'm speaking specific to Bitcoin here. It really hasn't. We have not seen anything close to the potential of where this is going to go. I think when you hear people out there saying that Bitcoin someday is going to be a $1,000,000 of Bitcoin or $5,000,000 of Bitcoin or $6,000,000 of Bitcoin or even more, it sounds insane. I understand that it sounds insane. It's not. And it's not insane because when Bitcoin was $1,100 and we told people one day Bitcoin will 100X from here, it will be $100,000. I know it hasn't happened yet. There isn't a sane person on planet Earth with any understanding of the marketplace now that says, oh, no, that'll never happen. There's not a single person that has a brain that's that's actually done research into this 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 space that if you say Bitcoin will eventually be $100,000, says, no, it won't. No, it won't. Even bigger trackers like Peter Schiff are like, well, of course it's going to hit that at some point. It's still stupid and you shouldn't. Okay, whatever, right? So when you see something like, well... Million dollar Bitcoin, that's only a 10x from 100. That's not a 100x, that's a 10x. And so if you think about the kind of money that's being thrown around now in the space, what does that mean to the person that can literally go in and buy a hundred or a thousand or two thousand or five thousand Bitcoin? And how much more can they buy if they can suppress these interim shorts? So we've got, and some other stuff going on. There's a big macroeconomic thing we'll finish up with today going on in China. Um, there's some other things, the Omicron, and here's what, you know, this even came out from JP Morgan, they're like, we're not worried about Omicron. don't care, nonsense, literally it is moronic, they didn't say that, but it was kind of how the, the tone of the brief that came out of JP Morgan read, what they said is, we're concerned about how government's going to react to it. So, people in crypto are concerned with that too, but the big thing is these ETFs creating derivatives, and this is what's really interesting if you read the prospectus from Biddo, which is like the first big futures etf they literally in their prospectus say what they're going to buy and when they're going to buy it and all these other folks in that kind of future space they're 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 sniping that that etf because wouldn't you if you were in that position so that's the bigger thing that's going on right now but i'm buying the dip i recommend that you do too one more quick thing on uh, on crypto and we'll move on from there i think i'll Make my commitment to being only 15 minutes of crypto today or less, even with the uh, technical issues we had coming out at the beginning. There's a Bitcoin city coming to El Salvador, and to fund the development of this Bitcoin city, El Salvador is going to issue Bitcoin bonds. This, as you might imagine, has some pretty people, some people pretty upset. Uh, you know, like people like the world bankers and, and things like that. There was somebody out of the the central bank of the United Kingdom recently that he said he's deeply concerned for the citizens of El Salvador that they've gone to making Bitcoin legal tender. It keeps him up at night because you know you know central bankers from the U- EU and the UK and the United States they've always really really been deeply concerned about the citizens of El Salvador, right? No, they're concerned about their world order being turned upside down on its head. Now, you would think, though, that the ecologists of the world, all the people that claim to want clean and free energy would be like, you know what, developing a city that's powered by volcanic geothermal energy? Good. No, they don't like it. Uh, an ecologist, and there's a link in the, uh, the show notes that you can get to uh, later on that goes to the article, an ecologist from El Salvador said, it's going to still be more expensive than oil. We'll get to that. But if you're an ecologist, don't you want us to spend more money on renewable energy? Wouldn't you think that's the way it was? And then there was somebody that they interviewed from the like global, you know, geothermal organization. She said, "Well, if he's promising energy in six months, then that's not going to happen." I don't think anybody promised anything in six months. He's building a freaking city, you freaking pea-brained idiots! But what I actually think makes this really interesting for discussion. Really interesting for discussion. It's something that I've picked up over and over again in interviews with Michael Saylor. And he keeps talking about the crypto rails. So was Bitcoin expensive to get all this mining equipment in space, all these data centers, all this stuff up to speed? Was it expensive? Yes. Was it then expensive to build the Layer 2 solution that we call Lightning? Yes. What are those? Those are the rails. And now what does it cost to move a billion dollars across the planet in a few minutes. It's very cheap. And if you if you look at it as rails, and you think about it in the conventional sense of rails, how expensive was it to put railroads connecting from the East Coast to the West Coast of the United States compared to having like pony express riders hand stuff off or sending a stagecoast across? How much more expensive was it to build the rails? A thousand times, a hundred thousand times more expensive to build the rails than take the existing infrastructure of horses and people and the wheel and send stuff across the country. However, once the rails were built, how much less expensive and how much more efficient was it to move people and product by rail across the country? And you almost can't come up with a number. It's like a 100 million times cheaper and a 100 million times less expensive because you can't say, well, you know, moving this one item from Philadelphia to San Francisco and then say, well, the cost of doing that, but a person taking it on horseback is X and the price of putting it on a train and getting it there is Y. You can't even do the comparison that way. You have to use calculus, not arithmetic. Okay, because... How many how many more of this thing can you transport at the same time than doing it with a horse and buggy? That's what you have to look at as the total cost. So when we look at anything being built that's being enabled by cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin, what is the value of the thing in the end versus the cost of building the infrastructure? And this is what I've been talking about for months now. Bitcoin is... Generational wealth. Bitcoin encourages seven-generational thinking. You look at the buildings that we built in Manhattan. right? We built in where New York City is today. This is a crumbling mess we'll talk about a bit now. But those buildings. And you say, could you build that building today? And the answer is no. I'm talking like the in, in, ornate churches that have... The literal whole church is a mass of sculpture and the artisan work that had to go into building that. We built that when gold was money. Because gold was the governor of the government. And we had to think long-term when you were investing generational wealth into a thing. So the thing had to be there. Think of the, you know, despite the fire, the Cathedral of Notre Dame. Can we build that today? They can't even fix it today, let alone build it. How are they able to build things Hundreds and hundreds of years ago that are still useful today, and we can't build them today. We can. We have the engineering, the technology, the equipment, the machinery. We have the wrong money. So when I look at what they're doing with geothermal energy, it's not we're building a power plant to mine Bitcoin. That's not what they're doing. They're building a city to run off geothermal energy, and Bitcoin is the enabler. Because we can put miners in there, because we can participate in this massive network, we can afford to develop something that otherwise we could not, that will give us a thousand years of energy. So is it expensive to build city-sized infrastructure? Period. Yes. Is it more expensive if you're gonna power that city on geothermal energy, even partially, versus a natural gas or oil power plant? Yeah. But is the total cost more? This isn't a wind turbine that we're going to throw the freaking blades away in ten years, right? This is this is drilling into the the heated core of the earth and sucking endless energy for ten generations or more. Because once we have that done, the real technology is how we harness it. And when that when that technology gets better, we don't have to do the whole thing over again. You just upgrade the technology. That's why I think this is bothering them so much, because it will be a place where they can go, look, it works. And I don't think most of the people that claim to want to save the planet, that claim Bitcoin's boiling the oceans or other bullshit like that, actually want solutions. They like problems, because problems enable division, and division enables power. And this is being corrected, and it's going to be corrected over and over and over again, because you have something now you never had before. The economic incentive to actually do it. How many countries are going to look at that and go, we have waterfalls. Hmm. Like, could we build a city near this waterfall and then make this economically viable because we can participate in this network that's going to grow to $10 trillion or more? Do we want a piece of that? How many other ways are there to harvest energy that the problem is the location of the resource is not adjacent to the place where people live? And we could change that. And you know what? As I said, Michael Saylor is my spirit animal, man. He said that shit the beginning of this year. He's like, I see in my head this place where a waterfall is falling down, and there are no people, but there could be. And Bitcoin is the answer. Didn't say anything about volcanoes, but who the hell saw that one coming? I didn't. Anyway, let's move on from crypto now, and I don't think we'll really talk about it again. Um, I had a question from a listener that involved ButcherBox. And I guess this could involve anybody that you know, cryovac packs meat and then you buy it, whether it's sent to you frozen or you get it at the grocery store or whatever. And they basically said, so I was looking at this steak from butcher box, perfectly vacuum sealed in this plastic, obviously food grade material, or it wouldn't be holding the meat in the first place. And it doesn't come with a meat diaper or anything like that. It's just straight up wrapped in plastic. Like I'm going to do when I sous vide it. And I thought to myself, self. Should I just chunk that into the sous vide cooker and cook it that way? Uh, No, I don't think you should. And I'm going to tell you why I feel that way. Number one, something I use my sous vide for all the time, even when I'm not cooking with it. Defrosting shit. When I was stupid and didn't take something out early enough or the day before to defrost so that I can cook it that night. I'll take one of those steaks or two of those steaks for me and my wife, and I will throw it in the sous vide and I'll set it at like 65 degrees. And I'll turn it on and I'll walk away and in like 40 minutes it's completely defrosted because you're circulating the water versus... If you drop it in 65 degree water, the temperature of the water will go down and it won't defrost any quicker. But if you put it in moving, circulating, maintained water, it defrosts very, very quickly. And in doing that, not frequently, but on occasion, I have pulled my defrosted meat out and found water from the circulator inside the bag because the bag failed. Those bags are not meant for cooking in. So that's problem number one. I think you will have failures. And somebody might be thinking, I know. I'll just throw it in another bag and then I'll seal that bag and throw it in there. You know what? That'll work. I don't think anything bad will happen if you do that. I don't know that you've saved anything by doing that other than opening the bag. And here's my biggest problem with this. What seasoning have you applied to the meat? And I don't care if you don't use rubs. I, I make my own rubs up. I have different ways. I want like something I want to really bring garlic to or whatever. But even if you're like, I don't really do rubs or whatever, if you cook steak without salting it, you're wrong. And so salt, I think, needs to be part of the equation to get the best result. So if nothing else, you want to season it. And then, I did, this will sound like sacrilege a little bit here for a second. If I could come up with anything to complain about, with butcher boxes portions, when it comes to steaks, is like the strips and the ribeyes, which are what I consume mostly, are thin for my taste. I don't think the portion size is out of whack. They're 10-ounce steaks. That's a good size steak for a meal, right? Um, and if I want 20 ounces, I just cook two of them. But I personally feel that sous vide is much better for thicker cuts of meat. I want... A lot of protein to work with for kind of a long duration, one, two hour or longer cook. And the thing that I love to sous vide, the two things I love to sous vide that I get from ButcherBox are the sirloin end caps and the tri-tips, or as the Brazilians would call it, the picanha. Those two pieces of meat are fabulous out of the sous vide. And I'll tell you what I do with them. Usually they have a pretty good fat cap on them. I do a reverse sear. So the first thing I do is I take my knife and I cut you know, kind of hashes in that fat so it'll render nicely. And then I salt the crap out of it. It's a big, thick piece of meat. And I let that salt do its work for at least a couple hours and and do like a short dry brine. I get a pan nice and hot, and I sear it before I vacuum seal it. And I definitely get that fat rendered and crispy on the top of that. And then I vax it, and I will do that at like 132 to 135 degrees for like three to four hours. And it is freaking the bomb. And then, yes, even though I seared it before it went in, I also then sear it again when it comes out. And that fat, since you've got a good render on it, when you take either one of those cuts and you sear that fat a second time after the sous vide cook, it is glorious what happens to it. It's crispy and just so good. So I don't recommend you throw any pre-packaged item into a sous vide cooker. I really don't. And But if you do want to do some pre-prep and you want to be able to just come out of the freezer, um, I think you're better off with fresh meat than frozen for that. Because you're going to have to... Thaw to get any of that seasoning really to penetrate. You could, theoretically, just cut it open frozen, throw seasoning on it, hope it sticks, throw it in a bag, label it, and, and do that. Um, I tend... The fact that the sous vide cooker will defrost so quickly for you to just do the other thing. So what do I do with my strip steaks and, and my ribeyes from ButcherBox? I cook them on the grill, on the Blackstone, or in a frying pan on, on, the, on the, uh, the top of the range. And with the thickness of them, I can cook my wife's steak in 12 minutes to 15 minutes for her at the most. She likes it well done and I gotta be really careful I don't overcook it, but she doesn't like it really pink much at all. Mine, seven, eight minutes. So why sous vide something I can cook perfectly in seven, eight minutes? So that's just my thoughts on, and that's in thinner cuts of steaks in general with sous vide. Uh, next, we keep hearing, and I keep getting a lot of questions about this, colder than warmer. Colder than normal winter. Oh, the second ice age is coming and shit like that, right? The grand solar minimum and all. Okay. I'm going to... Uh, oh, Jim says uh, ButcherBox ha- Butcher had a flank steak for life a while back. I did that, too. It was 100 bucks, and you get a, like a pound and three-quarter flank steak forever. That was a good deal. I definitely added that on. I have added so much... It, you always watch Booster Box for opportunities to stack like lifetime member deals. Anyway, um, I am a believer in the grand solar minimum is a thing. It is coming. It is going to happen. It is spread out over a fairly long duration, and I don't know that it'll ever take us back or that this cycle will take us back to like the Munder minimum of a few hundred years ago. Um, it will have an impact, but I, I think the catastrophic, you know, shrieking. Uh, the sky is falling, dogs and cats are raining from the sky and having puppy kittens and living together as one, like, just relax. This winter is going to have almost nothing to do with that. Because, again, it's a much longer duration cycle. And when you hear things like Farmer's Almanac and, and what have you saying we're going to have a colder than normal or a harder than normal winter, you're talking about the time frame of the winter season and for instance, if you were in Texas, the way you would measure that, what is our average number of days that we go below freezing? And you'd expect more. Your, your, your average low would be lower. Your average high would be lower. That's what it means. It doesn't mean an entire winter like the 9-11 to 11 day event that we had last year. So people say last year was an awful winter in Texas. No, if you live here, you know that's bullshit. You just know what your TV showed you, and of course they showed you the worst of the worst. What we had last year was a relatively mild winter with a week-and-a-half-long severe weather event that was part of a big drop in in Arctic air that came down and hit the whole country. That's not Maunder Minimum shit, folks. That's not Grand Solar Minimum shit. That's a weather event. And many of us push back against the the, the the globalist claim of global warming, and it's all like, and then they take weather events and they use it to make their case. We need to not do the same thing on the other side. Weather events are weather events, weather patterns are weather patterns, and climate shifts are climate shifts. And all of those are different. So, what I expect this year, based on everything I'm seeing, including like anecdotal things like how much black are on the little woolly caterpillars versus the prior year. Is a colder winter, and I expect to have more days below freezing than is typical. And I expect a winter similar to what we probably had like uh, about eight years ago here. So not the end of the earth. Uh, It wasn't that bad. It's probably not even in most people's memories. It's in my memory because I'm a permaculturist and I pay attention to those things. Uh, But that was the year we got several different snow and ice events. I think it was the year that... uh, Snow and ice really disrupted the Super Bowl at Cowboys Stadium. I think somebody actually got killed by an ice sheet that fell off the new Cowboys Stadium at the time, and they they had to take some. Uh, they should have known better because it happened at the IMP Building in downtown Dallas years and years before, not thinking about doing certain things differently in these southern climates. Um, but yeah, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't get out of whack about this. But what you may also have. And we've been very lucky for, I'd say, the past seven years here in Texas, even when we had that big hit, our average last frost date, like how late in the year do you get that last freeze? We've been well under it by about three to four weeks on average. Even last year, I think we were three weeks early in our, so we were able to put our plants out much earlier. I think this year you might get closer to that average last frost date or maybe even get one after it. So that's that's it. Now, what does that mean for you if you live in Minnesota? It's going to be colder than it normally is, and your balls are going to freeze a little bit worse than they usually do. Okay, that's that's it for this year. Um, next up, something just happened with Airbnb in New York City that I don't find alarming or anything, but it's just like another example of New York City continuing to shoot itself in the foot. So Airbnb was declared illegal in New York City. And I think that actually the interesting discussion there is why, what problem are they trying to solve for themselves, and who created the problem in the first place, right? I'm always amazed when governments trying to solve a problem, and if you examine the problem, they created the problem. And then you've got the person that created the problem claiming to be able to fix it. I don't know about you, if I take my car to a mechanic and he causes a problem when he's supposed to fix another problem, I might give him one chance to fix it because it's a warranty and I expect him to fix it, but if that happens more than a couple times, I'm getting a new mechanic! This guy's not competent! Government is the complete incompetent mechanic that never gets it right. That Whatever they fix always makes another problem. So, What's really going on here is that there's pricing controls in New York City on rents and properties and if you think about, like, if you go all the way back to, remember, the sitcom Friends? Monica was living illegally in her aunt's or grandmother's apartment because it was rent-controlled. It's that. And there are there's a lot of circumvention of that going on through sites like Airbnb and what have you. Basically, illegal subletting. And then there's also the fact that it's so expensive to stay in New York City. And, and literally, when I used to run the Northeast United States... I would generally stay outside of the city because it would blow, like I would being in New York City for a week would blow 50% of my monthly budget for travel. That's And it was because lodging was so, and it was shitty and small. So what you have now is Airbnb. I can go there, and get somebody's little apartment, and it'll cost me less than staying in a hotel. Well, the government's like, well, you know, what's in it for us? We, we don't get our hotel tax. So Upgrade wants his money. So what they're doing is they're pushing that out, and now you're going to a position where I think it's 29 days. You can still do Airbnb, but it has to be 29 days. You can't go there for a weekend or whatever. But New York City is really in a suicidal mode right now, and if you live there, you need to get out. We're going to talk about getting out, period, in in just a minute. Um, Because at the same time this is going on, there's a new study out that says corporations... Right? The life and blood of New York City. Nobody goes to New York City for the weather or for the view. You know, people go to like the mountains for the view. They go to the tropics for the weather, right? People go to New York City because of economic opportunity. Let's be honest. That's why people live in New York City. The econ- even like, well, I like the shows or whatever. No, you go there for economic opportunity and then you partake in the culture because you're there. But nobody's like, I want to move to New York City because it's just a great place to live. No. People go there for money. At least a vast majority of people go there for money. Or because they're born there and they don't know any other way. Without the corporations putting people in asses in seats and all those giant buildings, you got a problem. You, You have a bad problem. And the corporations are saying, we're going to use less real estate, hire less employees have less on-site workers next year, not continue it since 2019, Then this year. The, the companies that employ the people that sit in those seats are saying we are going to continue to reduce employee headcount. We are going to continue to vacate office space and building space. And most of them have a plan. Well, The ones that actually own the space, well, we'll sublet it. To whom? All of you are doing this. There is a giant sucking sound right now. Remember Ross Perot with NAFTA? That giant sucking sound. The giant sucking sound right now is people hauling ass out of New York City. And do you blame them? I don't. And there's this belief it'll all come back. It'll all come back. Why? Because you have vaccine passports? Is that going to help you? Right? Because you're firing your first responders who are already stretched thin, your police officers, your paramedics, your doctors, your nurses for not having the jab, is that going to help you rebuild? Because your corporations are exodusing? Is that going to help? Like, what is the sign that the, the grand city that was New York is coming back? What sign is there? Now, I know some people that have been around a while, you remember what the 70s were like and the early 80s for New York. City. It was a shithole. And it did get a rebirth. But there were things you could point to and say, "This is here's how to fix the problems, here's the obvious ways to fix the problems, here's a pathway to fixing the problems, and otherwise the fundamentals made sense because it was a global commerce center. And by the way, we didn't live in a world where people could telecommute back then. We didn't live in a world where most business can be done without being face-to-face back then. Not with the efficiency that it can be done today. And so being in a place that was a hub was really, really important. Not so much anymore. So they continue to shoot themselves in the foot. Uh, Iowa Farm boys says he used to visit New York City, but not since they went all dictatorship. I agree. I actually enjoyed, despite some of my comments, I enjoyed being in the city. I used to stay, when I, would, when I would work the city, I would stay in Rye, New York, and there was a train I could get on, and it was like in less than 20 minutes I could walk out of Grand Central. And it made, it made sense. It saved money. Um, but the big thing it did was on the day for me to leave, I took that train up to Rye, and boom, I was across the bridge and gone. I didn't have to go through Manhattan traffic or anything like that. But I used to enjoy it. The restaurants especially, um, the ability to just walk out you know, onto the street and wander a little bit and find something cool. Like, yeah, it used to be a really cool place. It's destroying itself. It's destroying itself, and I, I recommend that people get out. Um, and there's more problems coming. And I'm going to move this up before I talk. I want to finish up today talking about getting the hell out of tyrannical places and considering highly Florida and Texas, honestly. Um, but I want to bring this one up. Anybody here know what Evergrande is? Have you guys heard of Evergrande? Do you know anything about Evergrande? Um, anybody? Anybody? I'm not seeing anything in the comments. I know there is kind of a, a delay. Evergrande is a company based in China. And they deal in real estate bonds that provide funding for real estate development. And uh, they're insolvent. No one is using that word. But I would think when like you have a payment to your bondholders due for $117 million, and you put out on your Telegram and through a tweet, we can't pay... I don't know another word other than insolvent. So you're like, Jack, so what? So some real estate corporation that does bonds in China is insolvent. So what? Oh, no, fine friends. This is an interconnected world we live in, and this is big shit. This story should be on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, and certainly the business versions thereof, right? Fox Business and... Uh, MSDNC's, uh, you know, would have a second channel that's all about the stocks and everything? Like, this should be major news. Remember 2008 for the United States and the subprime lending mess, but there was so much else that was not just subprime? This is not subprime, but this is majorly, somebody's saying over leveraged, major, I was about to say, it, majorly overleveraged. And you gotta think, okay, well, what's the problem? Well, All this major development in China, not going so good. People that were building buildings decided they can't build them. People that already built a building so that they could put tenants in it, can't get tenants. Tenants leave it. Like the shit that we just, this is why I moved it up in the discussion. The shit we just talked about in New York, happening in China. But happening to the point, because it's such a brittle system. And everybody always figures since it's communism, they'll fix it. Well, you can't fix everything with government. I think we've learned that. And now Evergrande either gets bailed out or it's like a black hole of money. Now, here's the thing. You can bail out Evergrande and all you're doing is making sure the people that risk the money get their money back. You're doing the same thing in the United States if you did that, right? You're protecting the investor at the expense of the citizen. And maybe that makes the crash a little less deadly. But you still have a crash because what's the problem? The problem is, well, where's your real estate development industry at? The toilet. Now, how does this start to affect other countries? Well, another country that's put their economy in a toilet is being largely propped up by being an export-based economy. That's Australia. Australia. Number one export from Australia to China is iron ore. Do you think the Chinese buy iron ore to make little chess sets out of it so they can stare at it? Or do you think they use it to refine it into steel and build things? So now, you take the the, the, client, the, the, the economy in China already heading into the toilet, the economy of Australia going deeper into the toilet, amid all this zero-COVID policy shit that will never work, and you have an implosion of a major source of funding for real estate development, a place where the real estate development is already on its ass. And you don't think that's connected to the rest of the world? You don't think that's part of why we just saw major liquidations in markets, crypto and otherwise? You don't think it has anything to do with it. You don't think the people that can afford real financial advisors, you don't think the people that actually run hedge funds, don't understand what some redneck from Texas just told you? This is a major implosion in world economics in one of the largest, most powerful economies in the world. The number two economy in the world just had its 2008 moment in a different way, but it's the same but different, man, in the words of Tommy Chong. But don't worry about it. It's not on your TV, so it can't possibly be impactful, right? It can't possibly derail the artificial Fed-pumped rally in the U.S. stock market, can it? No, that can't happen. It'll all be fine. It can't possibly, having an implosion of the real estate development in China, further aggravate the supply line problems between China and the United States. It can't do that, can it? No, it'll all be... Don't you worry about it. It'll all be fine. If it was important, the TV would have told you about it. It's important, guys. Do I think that means you should like go liquidate all your stocks? No. Do I think it might be time to take a little bit of a look at the positions you're in? Yeah. Do I think that if you see something coming that's going to create a downtrend and you're fully invested, might it be time to pick some particular things that you might liquidate so that you can be an opportunity buyer on a dip, not just in crypto? Maybe. I just think, above all, pay attention to it. Because this is a cancer. This is an economic cancer. And we do not know right now. This is like when your doctor says, well, you have cancer. We found markers. You could have, like, really bad cancer that's going to kill you. You could have cancer that's going to require some shit ton of treatment that will put you to the edge of death, but you'll recover. You could have cancer that's easily treatable. And how fast and how far will it spread, we don't know. But this is a cancer, and it needs to be seen that way. On cancer... The biggest cancer existing in the United States today is the politicizing of a disease pandemic. This is the biggest cancer we have. And it's not, the, the problem isn't the illness. The problem isn't the survival rate or lack of survival or any of that. The problem is 100% driven by government when it comes to the way that it most affects the most people. You can't have something that has a 99 plus percent survival rate and have it affect more people from a standpoint of the infection than when you have like entire economies shut down. Like, there's not even an argument there that government is the problem in this situation for the largest majority of people. That doesn't mean that your Aunt Sue that was got really, really sick doesn't matter. But it does matter there's less Aunt Sue's than there are small business people, entrepreneurs all across this country have lost everything. Lost everything because of this. And it doesn't mean that when you have a city like New York that we were talking about and you completely devastate a place that already had a problem with all these mandates and shutdowns and everything, that it's not a bigger problem. Or you take a place like San Francisco where people are already shitting in the streets and then you add this to it that it's not a bigger problem. And you take some of the major economic engines of the United States and you cripple them at a time of global economic downturn and then you add things like China's recent cancer to the equation. All this, to me, takes the old cities that were the seats of power. The Seattles, San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, Philadelphia, Chicago. I just gave you the biggest seats of economic power in our country for the last easily 50 years. And already fallen long before the rest, Detroit. If you took those cities 50 years ago and you said to somebody, do you want on a piece of all of them? Yeah. Today, not so much. Everything's moving. And it's moving, when I say moving, I'm talking about physically moving. It's moving toward liberty, and this is the scary part if we don't do our part in this. It doesn't matter if the, the entity itself is for liberty. It moves toward liberty because it's in the entity's interest. So a big hullabaloo was made about the fact that Elon Musk brought Tesla from California to Texas. That is an economic win. It's not a bad thing. There are worse people in the world to have in your backyard than Elon Musk. But Elon Musk is not a warrior for true libertarianism, and I don't think you should delude yourself into believing that. Elon Musk bought the Tesla project to Texas because he could make it work here economically, and he couldn't make it work in California. That's what brought the entity here. Okay? And entities like that coming here and the jobs with them, if they're not harnessed right, result in the big fear that everybody has. Oh, they're stupid liberals are coming from California and they're gonna turn your state blue. You just watch. That's how that happens. Alright? The people that consciously decide, not I I have more economic opportunity over here, but I can't take this place anymore, I can't live my life this way way anymore, right? Those people those people do not cause that to happen. Maybe their children or their children's children that go through your government-run school system, if you don't fix that too, do. Because I'll tell you what creates liberals, and specifically big government liberals, is cities. Cities are liberal factories They build liberals because they provide so much security in so many ways. People become accustomed to that security and they do not want to feel exposed at all. So they they willingly take on all the things of government that are supposed to make them secure. And they end up in a tyranny and eventually they realize it and some portion of them want to leave. Those are the people we need. Those are the people we need. And I personally feel right now, and I'm talking at the government level, like Abbott... He's a pretty good sniper. He's pretty good at winning those corporate contracts and bringing companies to Texas. Over and over and over and over again, he's done well at that. I'm not touting the man 100%. I'm just saying like that's a thing the guy has executed well. But I think we, individuals that live in these states, and Florida and Texas to me are the cornerstones of this, need to be reaching out to people. Come on down and check it out. And I have some reasons that I think that we need to be giving those people. Right? Sue wants to know what the fix is for the cities. Good luck. I don't have time to get into that today. But first of all, I think the number one way you fix a city is you do not make the city too big. Once a city goes over a certain size, all the problems that come with giant cities will be there. I think you're looking at you know a good-sized city... Is somewhere in the neighborhood of like 50,000 people. And when you need more room, build another city. And that way we're doing a decentralized versus a centralized model. But back to this. What is my value proposition to you if you do not live in Texas to come to Texas or to consider Florida? And, you know, I love the work Free State Project's doing in New Hampshire. I've always supported them. I always will. However, when it comes to COVID, I have not seen much liberty in New Hampshire versus most other states. I have seen it in Texas and Florida. So my immediate value proposition is we're not asking you to come here and make it better and change it. It's an immediate improvement in your life. It's an like the, the day you move from New York to Texas or Florida, your freedom goes up instantly. You don't have to do anything to have more freedom. Do you know what I do when I want to go to a restaurant here? I don't get my phone and make sure my vaccine passport is updated. I don't make sure I have a mask in my car so I can put it on when I go sit down and then take it off. I get in my fucking car, and I drive to Gloria's, and I order a margarita the way that I've taught them to make it so it doesn't suck, and then I get a great big bowl of seafood super grilled quail. And I have my meal, and I go on about my life like I did in 2019. My life is absolutely now in Texas the same as it was before. There's no new normal here. It's not here. We don't, I've heard this before. People are trying to explain it, especially in like libertarian talk shows and stuff. There is no pandemic in Texas. People say, oh, there's still people going to the hospital. There's still people dying. People get sick everywhere. That's not what we mean. We mean that all the things that you've now become accustomed to in your life are not here. So that's value proposition one. We have, and I just saw the, the Liberty something, the one that judges the fifty states every year, put out their new list, and they listed Texas like twenty four or some shit like that. And they came up with a bunch of bullshit as to why, and they, they listed New Hampshire number one. Not a bit of that report included COVID restrictions in making its determination about where you had more freedom. And if I thought this was all going to go away next year, and everybody would go back to normal. I wouldn't be able to make that value proposition to you, but I'm going to tell you something. Until enough people stand up hard enough, this is never going to end. And if you live in these places, those people have cast their lot, they've made their decision, it's not going to get any better there, it's going to get worse. California is going to get worse. Oregon is going to get worse. Washington is going to get worse. Illinois is going to get worse. Pennsylvania is going to get worse. New York is going to get worse. Worse, 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 worse. It's not going to get any better anytime soon. Because look to your left and right, and odds are, if you're somebody that wants to make it better, for every time you look to your left and right and see two other people, you're outnumbered two to one. And others like you are leaving, and that is reducing your ratio even further. You're going to get three-to-one, four-to-one, five-to-one ratios. I want that here in the other direction. I want that for Florida in the other direction. And you don't have to come here and make it happen. It's already here. That's value proposition one. Value proposition two, economic opportunity. People that tell me they can make more money in New York than they can in Texas, I'm like, first of all, how much more? And if you don't have an exact number, you don't know. You haven't even begun to figure it out yet. You have no idea. You're just assuming that. But a lot of times you will see a salary is higher, but what's the cost of living differential? You can buy a great house in Texas for $200,000. Not what you could have done five years ago, because we've had so many people move in, but it depends. If you're clever about where you work and how you work, you don't have to live in these giant subdivisions. And once you move out just a little bit, that value ratio goes really high really, really quick. What's what's the income tax in the state of New York? What, What does it cost you for every dollar you earn back to New York to have the privilege of living in New York? We don't have a state income tax. What is the real opportunity? Like, how many of all those jobs that are available in New York can you get without being shot up with something you maybe don't want in your life? There are some sectors here. We're not perfect. There's some hospitals and things like that with doctors and nurses having to make that decision. But I know plenty of healthcare workers that are unjabbed and staying that way, and they still love their jobs. There is there is ton of economic opportunity that ties right back into that first liberty opportunity. The next is the value of not losing what we have. This is less for you to come here, and more for my fellow Texans and Floridians. Right? We have a pretty strong position. I don't want to lose it. And those entities like Tesla are going to bring California employees in because they need a job. And we need to counter that two-to-one minimum. Two-to-one minimum. We need to be the strongholds that do not yield for a minute. And that's as much about how people vote as it is about how people act. Because I'm going to tell you, before wheels, that's my nickname for Abbott, if it was okay for Stephen Hawking on the Big Bang Theory, it shouldn't be offensive to him, um, Long before he said, hey, the masking stuff's done, plenty of people were walking around in and out of stores, no masks. I have pictures of myself from the height of the pandemic in Target walking around, little videos I put up and all. No mask. Somebody say, hey, sir, can you put your mask on? Uh, No. It was the fact that people refused to comply that led to the government deciding that we didn't need to comply anymore and they would just take it all away. And the longer it went, the more people refused to comply. And that's the case of people leading government versus government leading people, which is how it's supposed to be. So it's not just about bringing people in to vote, you know, red or whatever. It's about bringing people in to live their freaking lives. And the longer this goes, the stronger the case you have with states like Texas and Florida. We don't need to do what you're doing. We're not any worse. In fact, we're better off than you in every measurable way. We still have had less people die in Texas per 100,000. Uh, of COVID, even though I know those numbers are pumped up due to bullshit because it's like dying with versus dying of. I get that. But even in their math, we're way better than New York. We're way better than New Jersey. We're way better than Pennsylvania. We're way better than Illinois. We're way better than Michigan. Right? So even on that metric, we're doing better. Economically, we're doing better. Happiness of our citizens, we're doing better. Real estate-wise, do- like every measurable way, we're doing better. And that's why they hate us. That's why they hate us. And that's why as the numbers have gone down, 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 down in Texas and Florida, we disappeared from the news. We're going into winter. There'll be some uptick. It won't even match the uptick of the Northeast, but they'll still only talk about us because they hate us. We need to not lose the beachhead we've established. And those who say, you know, you're running away, stay and fight, whatever. No, you know what you do when you want to fight a war? You surround yourself with soldiers that want to fight on your side. You harden your position and then you go on the offensive. I'm just saying, this is the place to be, man, I'm telling you. Um, they hate us for our freedom, Dodo says, uh, which is kind of the argument they use to lead us into war in the Middle East. No, they do hate us for our freedoms. Yeah, it's not people in Iraq or Afghanistan that hate America for our freedoms. It's the people that run America that hate Americans for their, their true dedication to freedom and for living free even when they tell us we can't. That's what they really hate. They don't hate the ideology. They love ideology. Can be spun a thousand ways and marketed and branded and packaged so that you can literally market liberty when it's actually slavery and make people chant liberty while they're slaves, right? Some people wouldn't recognize tyranny if it locked them in their homes, shut down their businesses, made them cover their face, and required them to have paperwork to walk around, right? But when people are like no, 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 and no, and I'm just gonna li- they really hate that and. We have two states living that example right now and not, not filling the streets up with dead bodies. And that they hate even more. They don't just hate that we do it, they hate that it's working. And I want it to keep working. Um, next, I keep saying Texas and Florida, but the Gulf Coast and the Southeast United States are the new economic engine of America. I have a link in today's video or audio notes over if you follow that link over once that goes live. From John Pugliano's uh, presentation at at TSP 21 workshop. And I have it set so it'll go right to the part where he starts talking about the Gulf Coast and the South, the greater Southeast United States. The economic opportunities right now, not someday, not beginning to coalesce. The economic opportunities in that entire region outweigh the rest of the country right now for people that are skilled and for people that are trades. And there are, one of the things that's really available is the ability to be in a small town environment and have a good paying job. And I won't get into specifics, but you, if you just if you watch that presentation and you start examining jobs available and the places that you want to be, I'm going to tell you there's more opportunity in the southeastern United States and I in the whole Gulf, Gulf Coast region, so Florida over to Texas, than you can possibly imagine, and tons of it's not You know, Houston, Dallas, Atlanta, Jacksonville, right? Like, there's tons of opportunity in rural to semi-rural areas. And it's continuing to develop. And some of the construction that went on on the Texas Gulf Coast is mind-blowing. And these are places that are not right in Houston. You know, again, they're they're places where you can buy a nice place. Be 30 minutes away from the beach and have a good-paying job. And that is really available. And it's growing. And you want to be, if you want to be economically viable in any skill or trade, you want to be in a growth environment. And where do you think all these people that are leaving these shitholes are going? Right? They're not, I mean, Wyoming's a fine place to live, but they're not going to Wyoming in large numbers. They're going to Tennessee, they're going to Florida, they're going to Alabama, they're going to Texas. And that's growth. And again, some of that is liberty-minded people, and some of that is just chasing money. And you've got to bring the liberty-minded people to outweigh the ones just chasing money. The good news, though, is, especially for Texas and Florida, when you go to a place that doesn't do all this bullshit, no matter how much Karenism you bring with you, once you live that way for a while, you're like, well, wait a minute. Huh. Because what I've noticed is the mask Karens in Texas that walk around wearing a mask or drive their car wearing a mask, those are the people that kept doing it after no one was required to. Their numbers are dwindling. I used to go out, and I'd walk through a parking lot going to my favorite restaurant or whatever, and I'd see, you know, a dozen people out of several hundred. Now I see, like, two. And that is the slow realization, it's okay, we're going to be fine. And so we need, to, it, we need to bring as many in as we can on this. And I also believe that everybody talks about secession. That's a very serious thing and it's one of those things I think is more likely now than ever, but overall still highly unlikely. There is a middle point between full divorce and just being all happy and go lucky and letting the federal government get away with whatever it wants. And it, one is states standing up under the Ninth and 10th Amendments, but the bigger one is a coalition of states. States starting to reach out to each other and form alliances and push back together to the point of even creating some level of regional autonomy, starting to do some agreements that wipe the Fed out, etc. If that ever happens, the leaders of that will be Texas and Florida. And there's no way that you can't understand why. You've got a state that refines more oil than any other place in the United States. Okay, It's got a huge amount of coastline, tons of ports... And I think it's something like the Texas National Guard is like the ninth largest military in the world. Then you've got Florida, which is all coastline, guys. Coastline is life when it comes to economics. And then you've got a track record of both of them always being willing to buck the trend. goes back 40 years, by the way. Florida and Texas bucking the trend of the rest of the country. So we really really need to recognize what we have in that greater southeast region. Texas over to Florida and as far north as makes sense. I'm looking at you, Tennessee, and saying, I think you can come to the party. And I'm looking at you, Kentucky, going, I wish I could invite you, but I don't think you're qualified right now. Dead serious. I don't get to make that decision, but I think that that decision is going to be made based on the same criteria. When you look at COVID, one of the big gifts we got from COVID is, you know where you are now. You know what your state is capable of. You know where they stand, and I, I don't think we should ignore that. All right, um, I'm going to go into one more thing today, and then I'm going to start taking your questions. But I want to see what you guys think of this idea that I just put up on the screen there. You can answer yes or no. I left Facebook with like a complete mental shutdown when I realized what they were doing, not just to me personally, but to my communities there well over a year now and th- th- that I walked away. And then for like a few months, I would post things, hey, Facebook sucks, come do this. You know, I took as many of my people with me as I could, like Moses, hey, it's the excess. I thought you left. I Do you see me interacting with people? All I'm saying is, come on over here where it's good. I will never use Facebook again. I refuse. I literally believe that, They're the closest thing to Satan incarnate that we have, especially with the metaverse and all. But there's still a lot of people there, and I like to lead people away from bad places to better places. And one of the things that I could do right now, without actually touching Facebook, is I could just add Facebook to StreamYard, and then when I do these videos, they would be on Facebook for followers of me on Facebook to see. Now, when they wanted to interact with me or whatever, sorry, I don't do that. And I could be a bit of a Facebook basher and in every video say, if you're seeing this on Facebook and you actually want to be part of the discussion, join us elsewhere, something like that. I don't know if I should do that or not. It doesn't cost me anything at all. Somebody's asking about there. There'd be no real cost to it. it. I would have to actually go on Facebook, I think, to approve the link for about a minute and then I would never have to type that horrible domain in my browser ever again. All I would do is, when I set up a stream, go, yeah, add Facebook to it. That's it. That's all I would have to do. And I know I'm going to have haters that are like, Jack says that he He doesn't use it, but look, it benefits him financially. or whatever. Dude, I'm fine financially. I don't care about haters. I, I care about legitimate criticism like that really wouldn't be consistent with what you've said or something like that. I don't know that it wouldn't be. I mean, I've been telling people since I left when people are like, but I make a lot of money on Facebook marketplace. I'm like, use it. Of course you, I mean, if you're actually making money there, if you're running your business and you're getting half your business from it, I, I would be an asshole if I told you to walk away from that. I wouldn't walk away from it. But what I've said is don't involve, don't get in the communities. Don't get into discussions. Don't get in the arguments. Don't let the algorithm control you, track you and lead you. Well, you can't track me if I'm not there. All it would be is my voice and my face existing for as long as it makes sense. So I'm going to think about that, and uh, I'm, I'm looking again to hear from you guys here. And those of you listening to the audio, you can absolutely come on and uh, email me with some points there. And I will take some questions, comments, and and things like that. Now, you know, maybe I'll do about ten more minutes. If you guys want to, again, all caps, all caps uh, in the uh, comments, and I'll and I'll try to comment on that. Um, I seem to be getting most people right now saying that I really uh, – I should do this. And, again, it wouldn't cost me any money. It wouldn't even cost – it would cost me five minutes once, and literally when I set up a stream, it would take a quarter of a second to click. Yeah, I mean, that's all that it would be. And um, I still – I would be following my own advice, right? I wouldn't be on the site. Um, somebody says they'll nuke you before you leave. Uh, I don't know if that's the case. I tried really hard to get them to throw the band hammer at me. I mean, if some of you that watched it, like, I got a bunch of Facebook jails that I didn't even know about because I was doing it, like, weekly, so I'd come back, and somebody's like, you know, I'd go to comment, I had, like, an hour left of Facebook jail or something, and I'd be like, oh, okay. Um, I tried really hard to get nuked. Um, but, like, what is the value of freeing one person? Everybody's saying do it. Um, Tom says, any thoughts on the New York City vaccine mandate? Is there something new there that I'm not aware of? Um, I think all mandates are inherently evil, and they're going to do damage to the places that have them. Um, Here's how I view this, this thing on uh, on the jab. It would be different if it actually was effective at preventing the transmission and spread of the illness. I've had people tell me no no, 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 you know, vaccines work. I think if you don't think the tetanus vaccine works, you're not a student of history. I don't think if you don't, if you don't think that the polio vaccine did anything to help rid the world of polio, that you're, you're in denial of reality. Smallpox as well. And I know that maybe they get more credit than they should, but they deserve a lot of credit. You can't say that about this crap they're forcing on people right now. And I hear people making that argument. Well, you know, we got rid of smallpox with the vaccine. Well, it certainly helped. And again, I think if you don't think it helped at all, you're just delusional. I'm sorry. And I'm not even going to have an argument with somebody who's denounced reason. However, we know that when you get a smallpox vaccine, you get it once and you're done. And if you catch that disease, it's once and you're done. You don't ever get it again. That's not how these rapidly mutating corona and influenza viruses work. We have flu today, like we had flu 50 years ago, and we've had the vaccine for the flu for longer than that. So it it doesn't actually do what it's supposed to, and it does economic damage. So if it did economic damage initially, but it actually worked, if that meant there'd be none, like it would be COVID-free in New York City, even if I didn't like it, even if I didn't agree with it, it might, at the macro level, work. But what you have is basically a boat that's got seeping water coming into it from leaks, that's beginning to upset ballast and start to capsize the boat. And the brilliant idea is to throw a pump in the water and pump more water into the boat in the name of saving the boat. Or to pump, maybe it would be more accurate to say, we're going to put a pump, a sump pump, down in the ballast where the water's coming, pump the water up onto the deck of the boat. That's what these mandates are. So I don't know if there's something new going on that I'm not worried about it. Um, I'm not going to talk about that one. Looking for somebody else here. Uh, the way you feel about Facebook is a merchant, I feel, about Amazon. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I, I do a lot of referrals to Amazon, and uh, I make a good income from being an affiliate there, and I'm not going to turn that money away. And people obviously are still using it in my audience, or I wouldn't do well with And there is a place where we do what we have to do to make the money that we need to make so that we can live the life that we want to live. And, you know, here's also how I look at it. Like, if I walked away from that program, would it would it affect Jeff Bezos at all? Would it would it would it would it ring true to a quarter of a penny of a drop in Amazon price? The answer is no. So I'm not I don't feel like I'm making a major contribution to something that I'm opposed to. I feel like I'm actually extracting from it. Um, can I comment on the situation with USD Tether from Ben? There really isn't a situation with USD Tether. I'm tired of TetherFUD. I'm bored with TetherFUD. I think what you're actually going to see, though, is a move to push all stable coins under FDIC control with greater reporting requirements. That's a bigger deal than... Uh, tether may not have a dollar for every dollar of Tether that's out there. Now, if you mean what I talked about recently, it's not really an issue, but it's an observation. There was just a metric shit ton of Tether minted and then moved to exchanges and distributed across exchanges. And what I see that is a indicator that some major whale buying is about to occur in the middle of this. Because it doesn't look, from what I can see, like it was, it had to be minted and sent to these exchanges to cover, uh, cells. There seems to be a surplus in the millions upon millions of dollars of tether that was exchanged for fiat so that the person could be ready to make trades. That's what it looks like to me. If that's what you're asking about, those are my thoughts on that. Um,. China wants to nationalize Evergrande assets. They do, and they probably will, because they can. It won't fix the problem. It won't fix the problem. The problem is, real estate development in China is going to screech to an utter halt, and it's going to further devastate many economies that actually import raw materials like Australia into China to service that market. And it was already on its ass so that's the real problem there. Tips on twisting sausages so they don't unroll. Um, that's just something you're going to get better at as you do it. That's that's just a skill. I don't have any way to teach that. You you twist it. You can always tie them off if that makes your life a little easier. But uh, Any comment on the Bitmark hack? So like $150 million of various crypto were uh, hacked off of Bitmark. I'll just say, first of all, I've never heard of BitMart. I didn't know BitMart was a thing. It doesn't sound like an exchange I would typically deal with unless they were selling something that I couldn't get anywhere else. And I don't generally have to do that in most situations because you're in very speculative assets when you start narrowing it down like that. Um, But what does Jack say all the time to do with your crypto? Self-custody your crypto. I will never, ever ever be shocked, surprised, or concerned that a crypto exchange that's holding crypto on the behalf of others without those others controlling their keys gets hacked and gets some of that crypto extracted. It won't even phase me. I don't care because you shouldn't do it. If you're holding your crypto on Coinbase, CoinX, anywhere long term, you are wrong Do not do it. Move crypto to an exchange to exchange it and then remove it again. Do not keep your currency on exchange. Do not keep your currency on exchange. I know sometimes people need three, so do not keep your currency on an exchange. That's my comments on it. Don't do it. We do not have any control over how these entities have their security set up. Right? We don't have any idea. And they're not going to tell us because, honestly, if you, uh, if you knew, it would make it easier to get in. right? So I don't know why they're having these failures other than they can. And that's why I'm telling you, man, I don't hold on any exchange, period. I did some dip buying, some little small amount dip buying on Bitcoin through Strike, during this downtrend, like, because I'm on my phone, and like in literally seconds, I can borrow, buy like a hundred bucks worth. And I mean, I mean, God, guys, just to be clear, it's like, okay, buy Bitcoin, $100. Ding, you have a hundred dollars in your account. Yay, send Bitcoin, drop in address, send, confirm, done, gone. Less than five minutes from buy to off exchange. Don't keep it on exchange. He said, will Evergrande keep China from benefiting from BTC in the next couple of years? It will have nothing to do with that. China's policy toward Bitcoin is what's going to prevent them from benefiting from Bitcoin. Evergrande is meaningless in that particular microeconomic factor, which is pretty big to call it a micro. But we're, we're taking the national economy of China, and then we're looking at the individual components of it, it, this isn't, you know, Evergrande is good for China and Bitcoin, but China banning Bitcoin is what has damaged you know, what China will get out of Bitcoin. And it, you have to think about why a nation is so opposed to Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin can fix a lot of problems for a lot of nations. And it doesn't have to be currency for it to be that. In fact, I'd rather like the arrangement that dollars are currency and Bitcoin is property. And that makes everything in my life easier because I understand the rules and know how to follow them. And if, you know, if a country says, but like, you know, El Salvador made it a currency, you have to understand El Salvador doesn't have a currency. The dollar is their currency. If El Salvador had El Salvador in pesos, it would have made a lot of sense for them simply to be very favorable to Bitcoin and not make it legal tender. It would have been, it would have been very intelligent for them to say, we're going to maintain our sovereignty of our currency and we're going to just, let's say, exempt Bitcoin. From capital gains tax, right? And we're going to empower people to do business in it when they want to. That would have... And it's still property, not currency. Because Bitcoin isn't currency. We should stop referring to Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency. It's crypto money, right? It's crypto money, and money and currency are not the same thing. And that's probably deeper than I need to go today. Have I made any fun fermented foods lately? I haven't done any fermenting lately at all. I haven't even made mead. Um, Ben says, Thank you, Jack. Hey, Ben, I appreciate it. Uh, Dodo says, Will the economic situation in Australia lead to more tyranny or finally push Aussies over the edge? I don't think it will. I don't think governments move off tyranny because economics get bad. I think bad economics lead to more tyranny. And I, I would point out that if you look at history, that's always the case. The only time you end up with more liberty is the rare exception when a violent revolution turns out well in the end. And so you have, when you have a company going, a country going to economic downfall their government becomes more and more tyrannical and gets away with it under the, the, the auspice of we have to fix it. We have to take care of people. We have to do something. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the number one credo of the politician. We have to do something. No, not, you don't always have to do something. Sometimes nothing is the thing to do, but not government. Government always has to do something to justify its existence. Um, and I think things in, in, in Australia are going to get dramatically worse Um, The only upside, the only upside is that there is a democracy at play in Australia. And it's hard for me to believe that there won't be a major political revolution in Australia in their next election cycle. However, I won't be surprised if they don't. There are a lot of people who have really developed Stockholm uh, Syndrome in this situation. And, um, man, I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to forecast. I'm pretty good at forecasting the sentiment of the average Australian voter. And then there's always the, the big risk. All of the politicians saying, we'll fix it, we'll fix it, are lying again. Cause politicians lie again, over and over and over again. So you get this big flip. And yet, the tyranny doesn't go away or what comes off is the is the is the wrapper not the box that's actually holding people in i if i had any advice for the average australian it would be get out and don't go home until your country comes back to some level of sanity scrolling through i don't see any more stuff in all caps so uh guys thanks for hanging out with me today i hope you enjoyed this one i got a little off kilter uh, at the beginning with some audio issues on the uh, on the youtube side but I think the overall sentiment from the audience is you should go ahead and live stream to Facebook and just not be involved with Facebook at the same time. Uh, if anybody has a legitimate reason that I shouldn't do that, please email me, jack@thesurvivalpodcast.com with TSPC in the subject line. And if you give me a reasonable reason, I will pay attention to it, I will think about it, and I will deeply consider it, or I wouldn't ask. If you send me hate mail, it will go where it all goes. It's in a special folder called the deleted, uh, folder, uh, and it will go away and I won't ever pay attention to it or read it. As soon as I start reading something from someone that is just purely full of hatred, you have nothing to offer me. You have nothing. It's, it's, it's not like, oh screw you, I'm better than you. It's just literally you've, you're asking me for my energy and my time and my life force and you've brought nothing to me. And I want to finish up with a thought. That involves Bitcoin, but it doesn't have to, but it, it really involves how to think about what you do with your life going forward. I want you to think you set up yourself a wood shop. Cause I'm, and I'm thinking this way cause I'm about to do this for my, my grandson. So he can learn to run a lathe, right? And to use, to use a wood lathe and to make cool things out of wood. And I want you to think you find this piece of wood. Maybe it's worth a dollar. Maybe it would be sitting in a fire wood pile. I see some pretty cool things made from literally chunks of firewood. But you look at it, it just has certain things about it, certain aspects. You think it's going to have interesting grain or whatever. And you put that thing on a wood lathe and you turn it. And you'll spend hours on on a project sometimes. You put a couple, three, four hours of your life energy into this piece of wood that was worth less than a dollar a few hours ago. And something beautiful comes out of it. Maybe it's a bowl uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's a lamp, maybe it's a sculpture of some kind. Who knows what you might have built out of this? And you have this thing now. And it's literally an embodiment of the solar energy that went into the tree and the nutrients that went into the tree to grow the tree until the entire tree or that piece of it was harvested. That's now combined with all of the things in your life force energy that you put into making it. So the food that you ate, the knowledge that you gained, the money you invested in the tools, the time you invested in developing the skill, all of that now is in some pieces and parts embodied in this embodied piece of energy. And now you have it and you can look at it and it can just be that or it can be a family heirloom. It can be something you hand down. But odds are if you do enough of it, you got to pay the bills. So you might take it and then you might transfer it. And someone will pay you in some way, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's dollars, whether it's pesos, whether it's pounds, whether it's euros. It doesn't matter. They're going to say, I want that thing. They're not buying just the thing. They're buying the embodied energy of the thing. And now you've let go of it. You've given up that thing that you, you infused with your energy. It's literally a battery of your knowledge and your labor and your investment you've given it away, and you've taken some form of payment. If that payment is so that you can pay your mortgage, or you can put gas in your car, or you can feed yourself today, then I don't think it makes a lot of sense forward to really think about it much. Because we all have a certain amount of labor that we have to invest in our lives so that we can live them. However, if you take that money and decide, I'm going to save it, not reinvent. I'm not going to go out and buy new tools to do better work with so I can make more money. I'm just literally going to keep it. I took my embodied energy and I gave it away, and then it was given back to me in somebody's other form of embodied energy. Let's just say it's U.S. dollars. So the U.S. dollar is declining in value in real spending power by between 10 and 15% a year, depending on how you look at it. 10% is catastrophic, so let's just use that number. Now, once you think about the fact that you put all of that life force into a thing and you've accepted it back as a dollar or a series of $100, if it's only going to be worth $90 a year from now, have you valued your own life force and energy enough to choose such a bad battery to hold that energy in? Does it start to look a little different if you look at it that way? Don't you sit there and go, wait a minute, I'm squandering my own life force in this battery that bleeds 10% energy per annuum. It becomes $90 the first year. It becomes $81 the second year, or whatever it is, you know? It becomes $74 the next year. How long till it atrophies to oblivion? And that's when you start to realize, like, investing in your own business... Buying another tree to plant with it. Buying something like Bitcoin, which is the best, the absolute best form of energy storage we've ever created as a species. All these things make more sense than holding it in dollars. And it's back to what Michael Seller said about currency and money and the difference. If the money has integrity, the currency doesn't need to. I keep enough currency to pay my bills. On a rotating, annualized basis. Everything else is invested in something. It's invested in equities. It's invested in real estate. It's invested in precious metals. It's invested in cryptocurrency. It's invested in myself. It's invested in my business. Because when I pour my heart and my soul and my guts into something, and then you care about it enough to do business with me, I understand how precious that life force is. And I understand it's worth protecting. Anyway, with that, guys, I'll let you go. Hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. All right, guys, and with that, I want to go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, I, uh, I hope you enjoyed today's show and the variety behind it. Again, I, I, I thought about making it an outback with Jack, but the damn winds are ripping through at about 35 miles an hour out there, so the wind noise... Uh, would have been a uh, it would have been insufferable. So that's why we we didn't do it as an outback with Jack. We did it as an in the office with Jack, uh, live stream today. Again, remember if you want to know about these live streams, get on the social media, get on the Daily Mail, get on something, and we'll stay in touch with you and let you know when they're happening. But they happen most days. Friday's really early. The rest of the week somewhere between eleven uh, ish central to twelve thirty central, depending on who, what, where. Anyway. Uh, also wanted to let you guys know, one of the ways you can support this show, of course, is become a member. Just go to com forward slash members to learn more. And you can do your online shopping at tspaz.com. If you do your online shopping at com, just start there, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. No matter what you buy, you'll help us out. I have tons of stuff uh, reviewed. All of it's stuff I own, I use, and I buy again or I wouldn't recommend it. But you're probably buying a lot of stuff for, you know, that time of year, you know, Christmas and what have you. And if you're going to do it anyway, why not do it through TSPAS.com. Today's item of the day, though, probably, I'm not going to say it, but probably isn't going to be on most people's list of things to buy for Christmas. It just showed up today on a pricing alert, and I thought, yeah, I need to let people know about this with all the talk we've recently done about hydroponics. It's General Hydroponics Liquid Fertilizer. Uh, specifically three things that come in a kit together flora grow flora micro and flora bloom and the gallon size kit right now is marked down to 79 bucks a couple weeks ago it was $110 so you can see why it was enough of a pricing alert for me to notify you now if you're doing a large scale hydroponics and you're going to use a lot of fertilizer i think you save enough money using master blend to learn how to use it learn how to mix it etc if you're going to build some sort of small indoor system to grow lettuce and herbs through the winter and then start plants in the spring, um, you really want to look at this. Because the ease of use factor is worth the price premium, especially when it's marked down like this. Now here's the thing, though, if that's what you're going to do. If you're not going to be growing cucumbers and tomatoes and peppers and things like that and fruiting plants, you don't need flora bloom. And you don't really need the flora micro either. But it is a good little kick to have to up the micronutrients in your greens. So it's up to you. And they will do a little bit better with it. So you can either buy the gallon kit, all three, on sale today for 78 bucks, Or if you read the write-up, I have a suggestion for the small indoor grower. If you want to get started and use this stuff and, and just take one of the variables out, get a gallon of the Flora Grow and a quart of the Flora Micro. And then whatever you decide based on the instructions to use from the gallon of Floragrow, divide that by four and use a fourth of it from the micro. Don't worry about what the instructions say. Trust me, I've done this. It works. And I've compared it with and without the micro. And it does produce better results with the micro added. Mix the Floragrow into the fluid first and then the micro. Do not dump them in together or some of the elements can bond together if you do that when they're in high concentration close to each other. All right. Just trust me on that. And if you do that right now, instead of the gallon kit, it's going to last every bit as long for you, and you're not going to end up with a gallon of something you may not use, and it's going to cost 30 bucks less. Now, it's only 30 bucks, but 30 bucks buys a lot of other things. 30 bucks can buy you some lights. It can buy you some net cups. It can buy you some rapid reader plugs or something like that. So you may want to take that approach again. I recommend this stuff. I recommend Master Blend. I recommend Texas Tomato Food. And probably just about anything you use is going to work. Or it's not, the company doing it's not going to stay in business in the world where everything's reviewed by everybody that uses it. This stuff works. It's an easy button. It's a good deal today. I wanted you to know about it. With that, let's wrap things up with the song of the day. As I promised last week, I'm bringing you a band this week called Five Times August. I wasn't going to do music through the rest of the year. I was just going to, but this band came on my radar. And I decided this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do music this week, all from this band called Five Times August. And I'm going to do Christmas music to hell with it for the rest of the year until we until we wrap up for Christmas. Because it is Christmas season. I'm not feeling it as much as I should. And maybe a little bit of Christmas music might share it. And I might even do some goofy Christmas music like, you know, reindeers running over grandma. Or some classic stuff like some Bing Crosby or something. I don't know yet. We'll get through this week first. Five Times August has put together some really great protest music against COVID and stuff. This one may not quite sound like it. If you watch the video with it, you'll get that from it. Uh, it's why I decided to leave lead off with this. But this is really a little bit more universal because it's about all of the people that think that they're important that ain't. People losing their minds and screaming and yelling and doing TikTok videos and stuff like that. And, guys, I think you'll like the song. But I think if you watch the video with it, you'll appreciate it a great deal more. Of course, there will be a link in the show notes. And these guys are a small, independent band. They're somebody to support. I highly expected that they would have been knocked off YouTube by now, but they're not yet anyway. When you hear some of their music, I think it'll, you'll find it surprising. With that, it's been Jack Spirica with another episode of the Survival Podcast. <laughs>
0: About what you say. So you scream, oh, please look at me, living through an iPhone TikTok dream. Rate me, date me, great me, pay me, begging for attention, boo-hoo, you gone out of your damn mind, kid. Nobody cares about what you do. Wanna play the victim, wanna be the hero, looking like a miserable, confused, weird not for everybody else when you don't even know yourself. All oh, your selfies ain't no revolution—they're slowing down our huh? evolution. I suppose I need to apologize, and if I don't, you hope and wish I die. Oh, cool, another rule made up by a teenage rebel who loves big tech, big fun, big up, big loss? Gonna talk about it on their new blog. You've gone out of your damn mind, kid. Nobody cares about what you want. You cry now, true. I'll fact check you. Getting your opinion approved by some desperate, faceless, nameless, brainless, and turned for the fake news. Hey, you're out of your damn mind. Nobody cares about what they say. Think you got a choice? Think you're something special in the corporate white voice? Tweet this post, that grim, this talk, that swipe left, tap here to this, not that. You think that they're on your side? They only share what they decide. You're just part of the corruption that's peddling crap for mass consumption. Oh, jeez, you labeled me. Your tolerance is so extreme. Which one do I get to be? A fascist bigot or a Nazi? You're having your damn mind, kid. I don't care about what you think Oh my heavy times Everybody's angry living lies If you broke your walk you Think you're gonna save the day You've gone out of your damn My kids Nobody cares about what you say What you say?